in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word, our hearts would see that truth. And Lord, I pray that we would see that as the people of God, we are called to live differently. But Lord, I pray that we would see that it's not just a call of how we're to live, but it's the promise of life in the spirit. It's a promise of the realities of the new covenant being seen in our heart and our life. So Lord, we give you this time. Lord, we, we desperately need the power of your spirit to take this truth and make it practical and real in our hearts. And Lord, you're the only one that can do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to continue in Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verses 19 through 25. You may be thinking, well, we did that last week. Well, I just, this passage is so rich. I'm not preaching the same message because you didn't hear it well enough. Um, if anything, I'm preaching it because I didn't feel like I preached it adequately enough. And I'm, uh, I, I reframe things, and I'm looking at it in a different way, although similar to what we did last time. Last time, I hope, served as a way of introduction to that entire section. I, I was uh, in a Bible studies group on, Bible study group on Tuesday with a, a bunch of guys, and over several months, we looked at Pilgrim's Progress. And it's a classic outside of the Bible. It's actually the most read Christian book in history. And uh, in that story, Christian and faithful, you know, you've got this story of uh, Bunyan who's in prison, and he's writing this this storyline to help kids, adults, understand the journey of the Christian faith. And here are these two characters. There's Christian and there's faithful. And they're going down this narrow road and this hard journey and this hard path depicting the life of the Christian, one that's going to encounter suffering and trial and anguish and all kinds of realities. And at one point in the storyline, they come to a place called Vanity Fair. And Christian and faithful come into this city, and the city is depicting the world. And you remember 1 John chapter 2, it speaks about the world, and it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. And and, and Bunyan is seeking to give images that would relate to a child of what the world looks like in real time, what the world lives for, what the world longs for what the world goes after, how the world persecutes Christians, on and on. And in fact, faithful loses his life at Vanity Fair. In light of persecution, he becomes a martyr. And as I was thinking about that story, it really made me think about, as I was thinking about this text, I thought about that story, and I thought about the characteristics of the world, and I thought, wait a minute, Hebrews chapter 10 is a great opportunity to see the characteristics of the people of God. The characteristics of the people of God. The title of the message this morning is Living as the People of God. Living as the People of God. And what we're going to try to do is see that the author of Hebrews describes 
what are the people of God to be known for? What are the characteristics of those who've been saved by grace through faith? What is distinguishing about them? What is distinct and unique in their life? So this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. Let's read the text. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." You know, we now have confidence to enter into the presence of God. We've been given access. You know, when you've been given access somewhere, you can be confident entering into it. I remember years ago, I was uh, with my dad and uh, my best friend growing up, Doug, and we were at the Jefferson Civic Center. Uh, I must have been... Rick Pitino was coaching Kentucky, and Dean Smith was still coaching UNC. And they were playing in a final eight game, and it was big time. It was in Birmingham. I mean, tons of NBA players. I can't remember what era of players that was. But I remember our seats were really high. And uh, we were about as high up in the, Bur the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center as you could possibly be without being on the roof. And I remember looking at Doug, and uh, we had gone to a lot of these types of games, and we always had a strategy to see how we could sneak down. But this was going to be a tough one. It wasn't the, the games on Friday that were the final 16. This was the final eight game, and it was packed. And I remember sitting up there, me, him, and my dad, and I was like, look. And I was pointing down somewhere, and I said, you see down there? I said, right behind the goal, there's two seats, and they've been there for like the last 15 minutes. And he was like, there's no way, man, because, you know, you've got to go through layers of security as you move down. And you've got the first section and the lower, you got to get past that person. And then you come down about 30 rows and you got to get past that person. And then you come down and then the very bottom, you got to get past that person. And I was like, there's no way. It's going to look really dumb. I was like, let's go for it. Let's do it. We can do this. And so we go and we're down there. And my dad's like, you know, looking at us like, y'all are crazy. It's not going to work. And so we come down, and it's like, I'm like, all right, man, you got to just be on your game. You got to act like you know what you're doing. So we come through the first one. That wasn't that hard. That person wasn't paying attention. But that was just, we were just getting our feet wet then. So we come down about 20 rows, and somebody started talking to the, uh, the, the uh, security person. He turned, and I'm like, I'm just like, dude, come on, come on, keep going. So then I knew we were in trouble because this is the last big entrance to get through. And there's no way the guy's got on this jacket. He looks sharp. He's like really on this game. I don't know what happened, how it happened, but it just happened. It was like the sea split and he moved and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, I just kept going and kept going. I was a nervous wreck 
because I didn't have the credentials to be where I was. But he moved, and I took it, and we sat on the floor. And I mean, my feet could touch the out-of-bounds line. I was like, and I told, I told Doug, I said, man, I don't care if you got to go to the bathroom. I don't care if you're hungry. You cannot leave this seat. We're here the rest of the night. And we made the whole game right there on the front row on the floor. But I was nervous the whole time. Every time that agent looked at me, I felt uncomfortable. I just knew that he knew something. And I just didn't look at him. And I didn't feel comfortable because I had no business being there. But I want you to see something. What we're learning in Hebrews chapter 7 all the way through to where we are today is that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have access into the presence of God where we don't approach him timidly. We approach him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it changes the way we live. And now we don't do what we do as a Christian to earn the favor of God. We do what we do as Christians because of the favor of God, because we're accepted in Christ, because we've been declared right in right standing with God the Father through Jesus Christ because of the righteousness of Jesus. And this changes how we live. It changes everything. And so as we look at this, I want us to see this morning that the number one characteristic I think that's given in our text of the people of God, three characteristics about the people of God, as we live as the people of God, we are a people who draw near. A people who draw near. We have confidence. We have confidence. I want to read a passage to you in Ephesians. Listen to this. To me, through though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now keep going with me here. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Amen? That's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that because of Jesus Christ, we are now by grace through faith in union with Christ. And now we have access. And now we're able to draw near. Several things this morning I want us to go back and look at as we consider this yet again for a second week, what are we to consider here? One thing I want us to think about is the specific ways that we are instructed to draw near. To draw near, it says here that we are to draw near with a hat, with what? With a true heart, with a sincere heart, a genuine heart, not filled with hypocrisy, not filled with hidden sin. With, with a genuineness, with, with a transparentness, with a submissive, surrendered heart. Draw near with the true heart. What else? In full assurance of faith. It's interesting because I think that phrase, full assurance, 
it really like is supported by both ends of words on each side. In one sense, we gain full assurance. We walk in the blessing of the assurance that is ours in Christ as we live with the true heart. We experience the blessings of knowing God. You don't walk in the blessing of your confident assurance before God when you're living with hidden sin. You ever thought about that? It doesn't mean it's not yours. Because he died for us once for all, we're not in jeopardy if we're truly his of losing something that he's provided for us, but we don't experience the blessing of it. We don't live out of the joy of that assurance, but when we live and approach him with the true heart that only his grace can provide, it brings us to that place of a full assurance. And not only that, you have true heart on one of the bookends, but on the other bookend, you have in full assurance of faith. When we live by faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews later tells us in chapter 11, verse 6. And so on one end, we have a true heart that his grace is leading us to walk in, and we come in full assurance. We're coming in full assurance because we're coming by faith. It's a beautiful picture of how he's calling us to live. So we see that the instructions of how we're to draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith. But then we see what? With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In light of what he has done for us, it's ever before us. We see the instructions. But the next part of this I want you to see, I want you to see the corporate aspect of this. I'll tell you, it's easy, isn't it? I learned this years ago. And a preacher or a professor that I had in class was speaking about the fact that so often when we read the epistles, we read them as if we're the only one to hear it, which is personal, and I get that, and I think there's a valuable part of that. But we forget that the pronouns in the New Testament lend themselves for us understanding how we live and how we worship as the people of God. They're corporately to be heard. You see, look at the pronouns here. Go back to verse 19, and we'll see this on the next point. But therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, and then go on to verse 21, and since we have a high, great priest over the house of God. Verse 22, let who? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. What a picture. We, are, we see images here. And you look at verse 21. Notice what verse 21 says. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, the house of God. Here's what's amazing is that in the Old Testament, we would see the people of God, the dwelling of God, where they would meet in God's midst. But this is remarkable because we come corporately and we come as a people. We come together. The church is an assembly. It's a gathering of people. It's so often we think about it incorrectly, don't we? 
we think about it like I've been on the other side of this where, you know, uh, <laughs> I told you where, uh, you know, the guy gets up and he's like, uh, Mom, I don't want to go to church. Those people are mean. They don't like me. She's like, get up. You got to go to church. He's like, I don't want to go today. I'm tired. She's like, you got to go to church. And after a while, she, he's like, I don't want to go. I'm tired. She's like, you're the preacher. Go. <laughs> and uh, so I understand as a pastor, it's different than being in the seats. But, but like, you know, when, when you're a layperson, and you're going to church, often you go, you know, I need to get back in church. And what's the thought process? Again, it's not that every part of this is incorrect. But it's like, I need to get back. I need to be in, I need to hear God's word. I, I need to go. I need to do this. I need to get my kids back. But we have to remember something. We are a called people. And God has designed his people together to worship him. It's not a smorgasbord of individual growth. It's the people of God gathering. And here's what's remarkable. Because of what God has done, he has made us the assembly. And, and now the household, I was reading something by a fella. I was just at a conference this last week in, in Atlanta, the G3 conference. And, and one of the things that one of the speakers was talking about in a workshop was this idea that the household of God is used throughout Scripture to refer to a special place of God's presence. This is remarkable. It, we, we are called. Now, here's what's remarkable. And, and one of the things that he mentioned, and I, I agree with him, how often even our terminology of how we sing to God, you've heard the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood the place and fill the atmosphere. No, he's invited us to meet with him. We're not inviting him. We're not coming together and saying, hey, we have this novel idea that we can come together. Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us? No, we're the dwelling of God and he's called us together to meet with him. We're not coming as pagans come as pagans would infer or call on a pagan deity to come be with them. We are established of our great high priest. Amen. I love that. I never thought of it that way. I got excited. I'm not mad, I promise. <laughs> when you have kids, sometimes you get in the car after church and one of them will be like, Dad, were you mad today? I'm like, no, that's not good because they hear it better than anybody in the room. So if I ever sound mad, I need to calm down. The, uh, I'm excited. But isn't that a comforting thought? And I understand, even in the lyrics like that, their, their sincerity of the desire to be vessels through which God will work. And I understand that. But the language has meaning. Words have meaning. And we have to be careful to guard that what we say and what we sing doesn't actually disagree with the very truth. We are the dwelling of God, and he has invited us to meet with him. So therefore, we draw near corporately, not just individually. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. He's opened the way. The blood of Jesus covers us. 
And under the old priesthood, the old way, we weren't able. But because of the promises of Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, there's grace to come, grace to draw near. We are gathering together as the people of God because God has ordained for us to meet with him. It changes the way we look at church. It changes the way we look at the whole understanding of what he's established. It's not us taking the initiative. It's God taking the initiative. And it's because of God's grace we can now act towards him. I love this because there's so many truths that pop out of this. You know, there's, we come to him, but I want you to think of another aspect of this. There's grace to draw near. Now think about that. Before God calls us to draw near we have to remember who were we before we experienced the great high priest. We were alienated and outside of the things of God. And think about it. When the people would gather outside of the tabernacle on the day of atonement, and the high priest would go into the holy place and then into the most holy place behind the veil, the people would be in it'd be like an awe over them and a holy horror of like, will he come out of the most holy place? And so the people would never imagine that they could go into that most inner sanctuary and go into the presence of God. They weren't able. They didn't have access. So here's the beauty. Under the new covenant, every command, it's implied there's grace to obey. You realize this morning, it's not just a preacher telling you, you better draw near. If you're a child of God and you've believed on the promises of Christ through the gospel, you have grace through which now you have enablement to do the very thing that God commands you to do. That's new covenant reality. That's new covenant language. You see, religion says you better do this to fix yourself up. You better do this to make yourself right with God. You need to be more moral. You need to be more ethical. You need to be this and this and this. The gospel says, no, you're alienated. You're estranged from God. You need a divine substitute. You can't fix yourself up, but there's a divine substitute, one equal in nature, equal in substance with God the Father, one fully human, the God-man, who came to take your place who came to live the life you were required to live, to die the death that you now would be required to die. And through his perfect sacrifice once for all, you now have been enabled to be what God wants you to be by grace through faith in Christ. So we see this is good news, grace to come near. But finally, under this first point, I want you to consider the practical with me. It reminds you of Romans, doesn't it, where Paul says, he says, I urge you, brothers, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then look at this word. Which is your, what's the next word? Spiritual. You know what that word in the Greek means? It's the word that literally sounds like logical. It's a word that's very close in, the, in its phonetic sound. It means this is the logical response when we see that what Christ has done in bringing us near and opening the door and providing the curtain of his flesh. Well, what else would we do? 
How else could we respond when we come to this truth? But consider the practical of this. This morning, I want you to think with me. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Listen, let's look at these words. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Look at this verse here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And here's some of the questions that hit me this week as I was just chewing on this passage. Are you drawing near, you know, and again, is is the emphasis corporate? Absolutely. But remember, now there's a place for individuals to apply this. This will be applied by the people of God applying this in real time through the ebbs and flows of each of our lives. And here's some of the practical questions. Are you drawing near to God in your good times right now? Are you like me? And sometimes when life is just rocking along, it's easy to be like the people of Israel and just lose sight of God. It's easy sometimes, isn't it, to do that? Have you ever found that temptation real? Are you drawing near to him in the good times? We're called to draw near, to draw near to him. Why? We are the people of God, and and he's teaching us. He's saying, look, because he is your great high priest, draw near to him with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Another question, are you drawing near to God this morning in your pain? Are you drawing near to God in your pain? Do you you just self-process? Wouldn't it be tragic for a child of God that understands and believes these realities to have a high priest that not only is sympathetic but is sinless, who's worked on their behalf, that when they go through hurt, when they go through grief, when they go through rejection, when they go through just pain, wouldn't it be tragic if all they did to process and cope was to go to their friends or to go to the TV or to go to the, wherever you would go, whatever hobby you would go to, whatever sin you would run after, draw near to God in your pain. Are you drawing near to God in your struggle this morning? What are you struggling with? If we got real with each other and we just shared like, wow, you know what? This is one of the hardest struggles in my Christian life. I got good news for you. You're called as the people of God, distinctly, uniquely, you're called to Draw near to him as your high priest. Do you realize that he enables those who are weak, that he gives help in time of need? You may be thinking, you don't understand the struggle that I have in my marriage, the struggle I have with my parents, the struggle I have with friends, the struggle I have in my loneliness, whatever it may be. He's calling us to live out of the reality that we have confident access Let's not just be confident in the way that we assert the ability that we have to go to God because of the gospel. Let's take it to every moment by moment living. Draw near in good times. Draw near in pain. Draw near in struggle. Draw near in relational struggle. Draw near in your perplexing situation. Anybody overwhelmed with something right now? And you're thinking, there's no way I can get my hands on this. I can't figure it out. And it's bothering me. I got good news for you. Under the new covenant, you have a high priest who not only compels you to come to him, he's made it possible by his grace 
through his living in new way that he's provided through the cross. Wow, think about this. You know, the, the Jewish people, because they were the ones that were living under the pictures and the types and the shadows, they understood the distance that they felt. And now he's telling them to draw near. Draw near. Draw near. Draw near in your discontentment. Draw near in, in personal confession and repentance. You know, what are, where is God convicting you of sin in your life this morning? I've got good news. Draw near to him. He's the great high priest. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the essence of the gospel. Anybody else besides me, struggle sometimes with living practically out of the ramifications of the gospel? Anybody else? Don't leave me up here by myself. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. Let's not, I pray, you know, we're all getting older. Even the young ones are changing. You know, everybody's getting old. And we don't know how long that God's provided in his providence for us to live, but let's not be a church that just comes and oohs and awes at the wonders of the faith on Sunday mornings. Let's pray that this would hit us in real time. Because if we have a gospel that doesn't affect us on Sunday afternoons at 2.30 and on Mondays at 10.45 in our schools, in our jobs, in our struggles, in our, in our idols in our pain, in our relationships. We're not living out of the gospel. But this is called to affect every part of us. We are the people who draw near. But look at the next one. The next one just keeps getting better. We are a people who hold fast. And I want us to continue to look at this a little bit more. We touched on it last time. But what does he say? Let us hold fast, the confession of our hope without wavering. Isn't that interesting? The confession, he mentions this. I was looking at all these uh, cross-references. I'm going to show you some, but it's, it, you know, one, you can, you can say confession of our faith here. It appears to be confession of our hope, but, but here's what I want you to think. Without hope, there is no gospel. Hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of hope. Where are you putting your hope in this morning? Think about it. Every one of us in here, even if you're thinking, you know what, this is going to apply to me when I get 19 or 20 and you're young, you're thinking I'll catch up later. You're putting your hope in something. Everybody's putting your hope in something. You're putting your, you're putting your hope in people. You're putting your hope in hobbies. You're putting your hope in 401ks. You're putting your hope in uh, your health, maybe. You're putting your hope in a team in sports. I mean, there's a lot of things we can put our hope in, isn't it? It's crazy. We almost, it, it sounds ridiculous when we start naming it out loud, but here's the thing that we have to always come back to. The hopes of this world never deliver and they always disappoint. They always do, but what is the gospel? The gospel is the only basis of our hope. And the author says, look, not only are we a people who draw near in true sincerity, in full assurance of faith, but we are the people who hold fast the confession of our hope. <laughs> I love it. 
You remember uh, Romans 15, 13, and may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope because wherever there's hope, guess what? There's always joy. There's peace that come alongside that hope. You see, if this morning, if you are a believer here and imagine somebody following you around today where they say, wow, that person is marked by joy. That person's marked by peace. That person's marked by hope. Or would they say, wow, that's one of the most miserable people I've been around in a while. I've never seen someone so discouraged, moaning through life, just frustrated and just, and I get it. That's funny to us because sadly we all relate to that, don't we? We understand what that's like. It's like someone's somebody's reading all of our mail, right? Because we understand that temperament. We understand that fleshly conviction. or that It's convicting because of that fleshly tendency. But look, look, here's the reminder. Because we have a great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, he calls us right now in 2021 because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is ever bit as real and practical as it was to Jews back in 67 AD who were tempted to go back to Judaism. Today under the new covenant, the author of Hebrews through the power of the Holy Spirit calls us at Riverside Community Church to draw near with a sincere heart and to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold on to it without wavering. I love this because it's hope, hope. I was looking at some passages about hope. I went to a topical Bible, which is fun. Um, Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Wow. It's a gospel of hope. 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. On Sunday nights, just in the last couple of weeks, we looked at the truth of death in the intermediate state, and we looked at the truth of glorification. You know what's amazing? It got me so excited. It got me fired up because the gospel is built on the hope of the resurrection, And you may be like, well, yeah, the resurrection of Jesus, but do you realize he's the first fruits of our resurrection? Do you realize that all the ones you love dearly, your dear mama who went to be with the Lord, your dear daddy, your dear grandmother, your dear friend, do you realize that every believer who's died in Christ has hope of a future because of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, we read in in 1 Timothy the commandment of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time begin. Colossians 1-5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. You see, here's what's happening. He's saying, look, here is the true reality of what, who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Now draw near because he's a great high priest who's welcomed you in his presence. And now because of who he is, because of what he's accomplished, because of what he still will do, never waver and hold fast the confession of your hope. Hold fast. 
Holding fast is, is really an, an evidence. It's, it's a reality of those in Christ, but we're called to do it because it's through the call to do it that the Spirit enacts and enables us to follow him. It's something that we're called to live by. It, 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 you know, the, the hold fast, retain, to hold the confession of your hope without wavering. This phrase is closely linked to drawing near. It's closely linked. Before that, I want to I read a couple passages. Look, look at Hebrews 3, 6. In Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Look at 6, 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, for we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Isn't that fun? It's, it's linked to drawing near also. I was really, it was it wowed me to see this. You know, when we looked at chapter 4, verse 14, notice here that he uses these two similar thoughts. He mentions in verse 14, holding fast our confession. That's very similar, isn't it, to what we see in chapter 10. But notice what he does in verse 16. In verse 16, notice this connection to drawing near. Let us then with confidence draw near. Isn't that interesting? He uses both of those phrases, let us draw near, let us hold fast in chapter 4 and in chapter 10. They're linked. They're related. But, but another one here I want you to look at is, is that there's specific instructions as to how to do this. He says what? Hold fast without wavering. Without wavering. Don't, don't be flippant. Don't swerve. Don't go off course. But then what does he do? Not only without wavering, but he says what? They, we do it without wavering. He mentioned before that, it's in the present tense. Continuously hold fast. It's like continuously draw near, continuously draw near, continuously hold fast. How do you hold fast? You do it without wavering. What else do you do? You, you, you hold on to these truths based on the promises and the character of God. What does he say? Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promises faithful. You trust people to keep their word, especially when you know their character. You think about that as a child. If you have a trustworthy granddad, a trustworthy mom, a trustworthy dad, you believe what they say. It, it amazes us to see the trust that little ones have in the people they look up to because they believe that they're going to do what they said they would do. How much more with the character of God? So here he's saying, do it unwaveringly. Do it based on the promise of God, based on the character of the one who made those promises. It's just on and on and on. And then he speaks about the character of the one who made the promise. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's worthy to be believed. He's worthy of credit. He's, his character is impeccable. He, he'll do what he said he will do. But notice something here. It, it almost seems like, don't think, and I, and I find myself at times falling into this trap, don't think this is passive. You, you can't hold 
fast. You, you can't hold and, and, and seize this by being complacent or by being apathetic or lazy in your Christian life. Does that make sense? You can't get into a safe neutrality, a safe neutral ground, where you just sort of chill out in the middle, and you're like, all right, I'm going to go through this season of life where I'm not really following God wholeheartedly, but I'm just going to go to church a little bit, but I'm going to compartmentalize my life, and it really doesn't matter about these areas of my life, submitting them to the lordship of Christ. No, you see, all of this goes together. It's a call. You can't draw near with sincerity if you live compartmentalizing things. You can't live holding fast to the confession of your hope if you live in this compartmentalized world. No, it's, it's a discipline. It's a diligence. It's involving prayer. It involves the word of God. But, but something else here that I want you to see, it involves the fellowship of the body. Now, this is amazing to me because these are connected. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 with me. If you got your Bible, go back there. Now, notice this. Holding fast to the confession of our hope would be the opposite of holding fast to the confession of our hope would be falling away right? It's like committing apostasy. Think about it. This relates to these people that are tempted to go back to Judaism. He's saying, no, draw near, hold fast to the confession of your hope. Look at this passage here in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But notice the next verse. But exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, here's where we're beginning to get a glimpse of something. You can't hold fast to the confession of your hope in a biblical sense without the help of the body of Christ. Now, think about it. A lot of people, they have this approach. It's like, I'll do my Christian life on the lake. I'll do it in a tree stand. I'll do it listening to Christian radio. I'll do it listening to podcasts. No, why? We're the, we're the assembly. We're the gathering of God, where God has invited us to meet together. And we see the ordinance practice. We see the Lord's Supper. We see baptism. We see the preaching of the word of God. Now, wait a minute. If we look at Christianity in a Western individualized context, how in the world are we going to be faithful by the grace of God to follow these exhortations? You see, exhort one another. Exhort one another. This goes together. It, it, they're linked. You can't separate them. Come alongside. Keep going. Don't stop. I mean, this is where you rally around each other. This is where you're calling people and saying, hey, are you okay? What's going on? You know, I'm concerned about you. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, keep going. This is where you run alongside, and this is going to lead us to that last point. We've already looked at it a little bit last week. This is just a review, but a little bit more. But finally, we're a people not only who draw near, a people who hold fast. We're a people who stir up one another. We stir up one another, not in a way that kids provoke each other. It's the opposite of it. We stir one another up in godliness. Wow, 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The priority here, he uses the word consider. You know what that means? It means to observe, to contemplate, to think. Now, now think about this with me. As your pastor, God convicts me that I need to pray about how to consider, how to contemplate, how to stir you up to love God, how to stir you up for good works. But think about it. But, but you're not off the hook, and I don't say that in a mean way. I say that in a way that we're a, we're a family. We're called as the body of Christ at Riverside, not to be spectators. You know, some people do things, some people don't do things. No, we're a part of a body that's mutually called, mutually together, mutually forgiven, mutually one in Christ, we're called to do what? To stir one another up, to consider how, to consider how we can come alongside each other to be an encouragement in the things of God. It's in the present tense. Let us consider how to stir up, continuously stir one another up, stir one another up to love and good works. But then notice something here. We see the priority we see the good fruits. What are we to do? What are the fruits that we're wanting to see? Love, good works, encouragement, but encouraging one another. Have you had anybody in your life that's ever stirred you up to love, good works, and encouragement? I, I, one of the ways we can pray, you may be thinking, how can we pray for people in the body of Christ? One of the ways you can pray is that if you're a, a person in this church body, you can pray, Lord, how could you use me to be an encouragement to stir up other people? I've had those people. I tell you about Coach Mo all the time. Coach Mo was way more than a basketball coach. He was like a mentor to me. And when he calls me up so often, he immediately gets down to, to business with me. Steve, how are you doing in your personal life with Christ? How are you doing in the Word? Are you pursuing God with your whole heart? How are you doing as a dad? How are you doing as a father? That's what we need in the body of Christ. You see, it's not a let's go to church individual. I've heard that sermon before. It was okay, but he did it last week at Lake Day. <laughs> and it, it, it's no, it's like it's, it's a mutual coming together whereby we are being formed and in growing up into Christ. And, 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 and so the good, the good fruits are seen here. But look at this, look at this. Look at the contrast. He says, not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting, but look, go on down. This is the habit of some, but what? What's the opposite? Not neglecting, but what? Encouraging. If you neglect to meet together, the inference is you can't encourage. Not neglecting. Neglecting means to forsake, to desert, to abandon. You know, I think one thing that happens is if you pastor anywhere, I'd never been anywhere more than four years I've been here 14. And, and one thing you begin to learn over the course of time is some people forsake, desert, and abandon the church. It's not a priority. And I don't say that to like push them down or to uh, try to build up self-righteousness in your life because you go to church. No, that would be sinful. I say that to you because I long for all of us to see a healthy understanding of the church. And what do we see here? He says, look, don't neglect. Why do people get out of the habit? Why do people neglect? Some people, the pandemic, they may never come back after the pandemic. Some people, travel ball. 
Travel ball becomes like an idol in their life. It will be the most important priority of everything they do as a family because it is what they do. They love to put their kids in sports and they're gonna achieve whatever that kid wants to dream for. And what do they do? The body of Christ gets neglected because it's not the priority. What else are some things? Weekend trips. I can go out of town. I love to travel. I love to do this. What else? Tired from working. I just need a break. I say that not pushing you down because we're trying to get Christian attendance and Southern Baptist certificates for coming to church. That's not what we're doing. I say that to you to encourage you and appeal to you and to say, look, let us pray about what the author of Hebrews is suggesting here because he's speaking about this intrinsic connection between fellowship in the body of Christ and healthy Christian growth and healthy Christian endurance. They're linked together. They're significant. But encouraging one another. The key motivation, he says here, is as the day draws near. As the day draws near. And what is he speaking about? I think he's speaking about the coming of Christ. As the more you see the day drawing near, the day is drawing near, there will be a day when Christ will come, which will be a comfort to those in Jesus Christ, and it ought to be the greatest terror of the world for those outside of Christ, because he comes as a judge to those outside of him. So what do we have? The character of the people of God, they draw near, they hold fast, they stir one another up. I pray that we would see the implications here. They're exciting because these are implications that only the precious Holy Spirit can produce in our lives. What a comfort, because if not, we'd be up a creek. We'd never be able to do it. I was thinking about this in the weirdest of ways because uh, I was at this conference this weekend. Uh, I, I was staying at an Airbnb in midtown Atlanta. I liked the place. It took me forever to figure out how, just all this high technology. It took me forever to figure out how to get in this place. I figured it out. I got pretty good at it, to be honest with you. I'm just kidding. And, uh, I, and, I, and, and I... I would go eat dinner. There was this little restaurant right next to my place, and I ate the same meal like four times. Y'all would be either encouraged or depressed. I don't know. But it was really good. And it was like this Cuban restaurant, and it was amazing. I want to take all of you today after, after church. And, uh, but one night I came back on Friday night, and, and there was water everywhere. I walk in, and I'm like, I'm walking down the hallway, and and. There's water on the ground. Immediately, I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? I'm going to lose my deposit. I'm like, what did I do? And I'm like, oh, no, I did something weird with the laundry because I wash clothes. So I'm looking at the washing machine, and I'm hearing this crazy noise. And I'm like, what did I do? And I'm like, no, I washed clothes last night. They'd have been watered this morning if that was from that. Then I go in the bathroom, and whoa, there's water in there. Water on the floor. Then I go in the living room, and water's in the living room. And I'm like, and I immediately, I'm like, I'm like texting this lady. I don't know who she is, but she's the lady that owns this place. And I'm like, look, I'm like, <laughs> I'm sending pictures. Like, look, this is what's going on. And, and, and this guy shows up and, and she's like, the maintenance guy's come. He was a great guy. He walked in and I was like, man, I don't know what's going on. I was scared to death. He's going to be like, you did this wrong, but he didn't. We both came to the conclusion. We went into the bathroom. There's water coming out of the vent above me. 
And I'm like, man, that's coming up there. He's like, yeah, it has to be. So he's like, look, it's like 1030. And I'm like, uh, what are we going to do? He's like, well, we got to shop back all this. He goes, but I got to get to the source of that water that's leaking. So he goes out. And I mean, he doesn't come back. It's getting like 1230. And I'm like, there's more water. Water's like filling up the, uh, the hallway. And I'm like, I got to do something. So my other buddy that preached here, remember Scott Kennedy? He was in Stone Mountain. I don't know why he stayed that far away. But he was 35 minutes from me. And I called him up at like 12.15. I was like, man, I'm, I'm coming to you. Because he had two beds in his room. He's like, come on, man. And, and, and I, I drive out to Stone Mountain. So I'm trying to get all my stuff out of there. And, and I'm leaving, telling the, the maintenance guy, talking to her. And I, I get out of there. And I get to Stone Mountain. And I get lost. That place is, in the, is the Marriott and Stone Mountain. And it's in the middle of the woods. And I couldn't find it. And there's cops driving around everywhere. And I'm like, they're going to pull me over. Because I'm just driving around residents. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to get the GPS to work. And I finally get to his room at like 1.15, 1.30. I go in there. I'm like, we're laughing because I'm like, man, what a terrible night. And, and we're sitting there talking. And well, then I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm worn out. I got a busy day yesterday. I go to bed. And guess what happens? He starts snoring like nobody's business. I'm talking like, I didn't even think it was possible. I know I snore because everyone tells me I do. And I always, I always go, how am I snoring? Would you tell me how I'm doing it? Would you like make the noise? And goes, that's so weird. Why? And I'm like, I just want to know like what my sound's like. And, uh, and, and he is just cranking it. So that's when you're laying there and you go, Arr! you make, you know, loud noises where he goes, Arr! and then you just try to go to sleep before he wakes up. And uh, I, kept, I was trying everything. And then I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, I, I went into the bathroom and called the front desk and said, how much is a room? And it's two, 215 And she goes, $230. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. So I go back out. And then I'm laying in bed. I got pillows. I put toilet paper in my ears. I got pillows over my head. I'm like, and I'm like, you know, you try to like make noises with the rhythm of the snoring. You know, do anything. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I've got AirPods in my car. And I'm like, that's it. Well, then I'm like, how am I going to get out of here if he wakes up? Because I had one of those sound machines on my phone. And I was like, you know, if you turn it off, he's going to wake up. And he's going to like, where is he going at 2.30? He's going to be like, is he going to the bar? <laughs> where is he going? Is this guy crazy? And I'm like, I left the uh, door cracked. So I'm like, oh, no, he's going to wake up and not realize why I'm gone. So I'm leaving, and I'm walking out of the car. I get back. And you know what happened? It was amazing. I put that white noise on, and I put those AirPods in, and I couldn't believe it. I could still barely hear it, but it was enough to where it didn't bother me. It was like I could still hear what was in the room, but I was able to drown it out. Now, I want you to think about something with me. One of the biggest dangers we have as Christians, as we hear exhortations about living as the people of God, because of the Holy Spirit, we have a sensitivity to hear God's voice in his word. But sometimes we bring things in, fleshly, wickedness, that begins to drown out the very sound of his voice in our life. I wonder this morning, you know, James speaks about putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. The Greek word, actually, scholars bring up the fact that one of those words actually implies earwax. 
in the very context where James says, be it not a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word, it's as if he says, look, if you walk after the ways of sin in your life as a Christian, don't be shocked that it impairs your very ability to hear the things of God. But you know what our hope this morning is? Not how well we are at inspecting our ears. Our hope is the Holy Spirit who is faithful to his own to sanctify us and to convict us according to his word. And I plead with you today, just as Hebrews has been doing the whole way through, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, and how do we hear his voice? Primarily some subjective, mystical way. We hear his voice through the teaching, through the reading, through the word of God. His word is the voice of God. And today I pray that we would submit our hearts, that we might be in tune in fellowship with our Lord. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that as Christians, we have hope because you're our great high priest. And Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. And Lord, there may be someone here today that has never trusted in Jesus. Lord, I pray today that today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray, Lord, today that they would receive the good news of the gospel just as a child would receiving a gift. Lord, I pray that their heart would be thrilled. And Lord, I pray your spirit would draw them to the place of saving faith, of believing upon the good news of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is their mediator, that Jesus Christ is the one who brings them access, that Jesus Christ is the only one that can provide forgiveness. And Lord, I pray today, that they would call out to you, that they would believe on you, and, Lord, that they would receive the, the miracle of this gift. But Lord, I pray as Christians, as we move out of this wonderful section, I pray, God, that we would see the call daily to draw near, the call daily to hold fast, the call daily to stir up, and, Lord, I pray we would see in a way that we will never forget how closely linked it is to the corporate nature of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me. He's closing.